0: us where our hearts are at amen one of my mentors told me show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities oh shucks okay so I want to talk about family and I'm going to be putting family in the context of eternity because we're talking about eternity this this month Uh, that's why there's a big like a Blaine's on holiday but if you see him you can give him a pat on the back he's our, our local chalk artist and um, almost started talking about eternity, and he read these scriptures at the beginning of the the month. Just go to the next slide there. It says, His winnowing fork in his hand, he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So one day, this life that we know is going to come to an end. Either you will die first or Jesus will come back. That would be pretty cool. And everything that we've done will be exposed, the good and the bad. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay? Great movie. Um, <laughs> and all be laid bare. Right? Amen? Are you excited for that? Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> and uh the way that we the way that we've conducted our lives, the way that the decisions that we've made, who we choose to who we chose to follow and what we chose to believe, and how we went about that, everybody will be able to see it. Amen. Okay. So when Jesus first came, he said he did not come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. But revelations tells us that when he comes again he 's coming with a sword, and then there will be judgment okay then the then the time for mercy will come to an end and so that 's what we 've been talking about this month, and I want to talk about that in the context of family, because family is is something that God gives us, and it 's a tool and How do we make our decisions and how do we conduct ourselves with regards to our family? that will have an impact on eternity, right? That's why Psalm 127 is such a great psalm in that regard. But let me not get ahead of myself, of myself, I'm a singular person, sorry. And uh, we can open up our Bibles to Matthew 19, and I'm going to be reading there. So open up to Matthew 19. We're going to stay in Matthew, so you can just turn there, and leave your Bible open. And... Um, Matthew 19 uh, starts off with a, a story about the Pharisees coming to ask Jesus, or to challenge Jesus on his position on divorce. They want to come question Jesus, because they haven't learned their lesson before this time, and um, and so they go to Jesus, and there's, there's, there's a little bit of divided opinion at this time about divorce, and... Uh, There were two Pharisee Phariseetical schools of thought, and the one the one believed the the Shemites, they believed that you could only get divorced if there was adultery. And then the other group of Pharisees, the Hellites, was actually the more prominent popular view at the time, the Hellites, they believed that you could divorce your wife for any reason. If she burnt the food, you could divorce your wife. If you if you found somebody that looked better, you could divorce your wife. This was so we, we kind of have this view that, um, you know, marriage was a sacred thing in the, in the time of Jesus. And then as time went on and you get to us, that we kind of messed up marriage and everybody divorces. now. But that was actually very, very, divorce was very common in the time of Jesus. And was actually very much, not just common, but it was supported even by the Pharisees, uh, uh, certain Pharisees who were supposed to be experts of the law. It's like your your pastor, you go to your pastor and you say, This pastor, my, my wife wants me to go vegan, and your boss says, No, it's fine, you can divorce her, okay? And uh <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so we're gonna read we're gonna read here. So so the Pharisees they come to Jesus and they wanna know, Jesus, what's what's your opinion? Are you on this side? Do you believe what these Pharisees say or do you believe what these Pharisees say? Do do we go with this? And we do so they don't. They're not actually particularly interested in what Jesus has to say about divorce. They just want him to affirm. They just want to know which school of thought are you supporting. And so they're not really interested in what God wants to know. They they're interested in politics. This is politics, right? Who are you going to support? So let's look at how Jesus responds. And I think this is going to give us insight into how Jesus sees marriage, and more particularly family in the context of eternity. Okay, I'm going to start reading from verse 3. Let's read. Okay, the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, so there's that for any cause. He answered, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female? Okay, so a very good way to answer questions is to go to scripture, okay? Understand what this person's saying, and I understand what this is saying, but what does the Bible say? Right? I understand what this church is saying, I understand what this church is saying, but what does the Bible say? Okay, and even with me, I understand that this pastor is saying something, I understand Luke saying one thing, but you should go home and you should be asking yourself, what does scripture say? Right? That's a that's a good principle, that's a good principle to live by that will serve you very well. Okay? And so this is how Jesus answers. I understand that there's this train of thought with this Pharisee. And these Pharisees believe this. But he says, is it not written, right? Or have you not read scripture that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female, he being God. So I'm not going to talk about this authority or that authority. I'm going to talk about the most high authority, God himself, right? Verse 5, and he said, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and old fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So he's he's quoting directly from Genesis two verse twenty four, and he's paraphrasing a little bit of Genesis one. and uh, And his answer to them is is not I'm I'm not going to side with anyone. I'm going to be on God's side. And he quotes specifically from Genesis um, two, mostly because. If if you're asking how things should be, it's good to go. Well, how how were things originally? Genesis 2 is before the fall, so this is where God's creation is perfect. And he says that when God's creation was perfect, God put two people together, and they lived together, and they were in harmony and they were in unity. And more specifically, it's not just any two people, it's one man and one woman. Are you with me? And he puts them together, and then he says, do not let man separate what God has put together. So now they object to this in verse seven. And they say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send it send her away? Okay? And the interesting thing is that they're also quoting the law. They're quoting scripture. Okay? Now we we need to remember something, because we need to just walk a little bit carefully here. Um Jesus by no means uh, disqualifies what Moses has to say, okay, but Jesus understands that when Adam and Eve sinned, it, God was just, and he could have brought out his justice immediately, and he would have been just to have killed Adam and Eve on the spot. Do you understand that? and instead, what he does is he shows mercy and extends his judgment okay so and that's that 's where we're living now. We are living in a time between the fall and the judgment. We are living in a dispensation, a period, an era, if you want to call it that, of mercy. And mercy is not forget. Mercy is patience in a biblical context, okay? Mercy is, yes, you've made a mistake, but I will extend grace and mercy to you so that you can reconcile back to me. Okay, so and this is what Jesus understands. So when Moses comes and and gives this law that you can divorce, it's in a context of mercy that you're messing up. Okay? But one day Moses knew, and that's why he wrote the law. Moses knew that one day God's gonna come a calling. That one day you'll have to give account according to the law. Right? One day you will have to stand in front of God and give account for the way that you stewarded your marriage, your wife, your husband, your kids, right? They, they are a gift from God to be stewarded. And so you will give account for that. And one day Jesus will come again, not, not for the sake of, of, of reconciling the world to him, but for the sake of judgment. He'll come back with a sword, okay? And that, that should make us think about eternity in the context of my family, and so he says he says to the Pharisees, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And this was so radical at the time that even his disciples are so flabbergasted by this. Listen to what they say. They say, um, the disciples say to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? See, they were used to living in a culture where you could divorce for any reason, you know. Like they all wanted to get married, but maybe you know, just on the side there, if things don't work out well, I'll just move on to the next person. It's fine. And now Jesus comes and says, "No, actually, that's not how God wants it. It goes against His order. It goes against His His decree." And His and the, pharaoh, the His own disciples are like, "Shucks, it's pretty harsh, Jesus. You mean I'm stuck with this ball and chain forever?" You know, <laughs> lol. Okay. My wife's gone home, uh, and and they say so. Maybe it's better we should stay single. And Jesus doesn't go. No, 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 no. Please, he he kind of says, "Yeah, that's a good option." Yeah, listen to what he says. Verse eleven he says, "Not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given, for they are eunuchs." And this this doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have reproductive organs. It just means that uh, you have committed to celibacy. They are. There are those who are celibate who have been so from birth, those who are celibate who have been made celibate by men, and those who are celibate who have made themselves celibate for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? In other words, there have been people for the sake of following Jesus have decided not to get married. It would be better for them not to get married. In other words, the priority of life is not that you get married. The priority of life is that you serve Jesus and follow him. Okay? And maybe if you're lucky, you find somebody that's going more or less in the same direction as you, and you say, hey, let's hang out with each other as we journey to follow Jesus. That is marriage. Are you with me? This is what I'm deciding to do. And so culture will say one thing, okay? And just because the Beatles sang, all you need is love, what does Scripture say? Right? I love that song. I love the Beatles. And there's many other songs written. And I I like them and I appreciate them. But at the end of the day, we've got to stop and say, okay, this person says that, that person says this, but what does Scripture say? And what Jesus said is that the priority of your life is to follow Jesus. And sometimes that even means not getting married. Now, you are married. Most of you in this room are married. I preached a sermon in Porch at a student church, so most of the guys were single there. And I started off my sermon by saying, some of you will forfeit the calling of God in your life for the sake of a relationship. Right, and I got a very angry email the week after that. Um, but my my point my point is, don't get married. It's not about getting married or not getting married. It's about committing to follow Jesus for eternity. It's, it's it's that eternity mindset, right? And and this is the same thing that Jesus was referring to. He says, "Hey, you know, if your if your arm causes you to sin, chop it off. It's better that you're going to." Into uh, heaven without an arm, than into hell with both arms, right? For I causes you to sin, you to gouge it out. Okay. Now we're not a bunch of armless, eyeless, legless people in this room, okay? <laughs> bunch of sinners, and um, no joking. <laughs> so, and and once again, I'm also not saying don't get married. I'm just saying, look at marriage, look at your priorities in terms of eternity. Am I doing this to follow Jesus? Am I coming? Am I serving Jesus to find a wife or am I getting married to better serve Jesus? It's that distinction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And if you are married and there's there's conflict between you and your wife, you've got to ask is this conflict going to get in the way of us serving Jesus? And if so, it's better that we sort it out. It's better that I put my pride aside, sort out this conflict because we have work to do in the kingdom. Amen. Okay, it's better that I bury the hatchet because I want to serve Jesus. Okay? And if you can't, then your pride is more important to you than eternity. Put your pride in context of eternity. What are you trying to accomplish? Okay, so let's move on from this. Um, I want to ask you a question Would you sacrifice something that is eternal for something that is temporary? Would you sacrifice something that is eternal for something that is temporary? And hopefully the answer to that is no. Okay. But this gives us a little bit of a conundrum because there's a different side to this whole family conversation in that your family structure is temporary. Did you know that? Okay. The members in your family are eternal and will hopefully go to heaven with you. But your family structure is temporary. Okay. So, Let's go to the next slide. In Genesis 2 verse 24, we read that one day your kids will get married and leave your home. Well, they'll first leave your home and then get married, hopefully. <laughs> okay? One day my four-year-old son, he's going to grow up and he's going to marry. And Scripture says that he's going to leave my home. He's going to leave my family and go form his own family. Okay? Then he can't come do laundry at my house anymore. Okay? Yamar. Okay? Pay for your own groceries. Yes, life's expensive. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay? <laughs> he's going to leave. That that family thing that we've got going on, okay, is going to come to an end. We play like a Uno now, me and my son ride around. You know, it's, it's all fun and games now, but that's going to come to an end. One day he's going to leave. He's going to form his own family. Not only that... But even if I steward my my marriage as best as I can, my marriage will still come to an end one day when I die. Did you know that? Okay? One day when you pass away, your marriage will come to an end. That family structure that you have is not going into eternity with you. And so what you've got to ask is, am I going to sacrifice something that is eternal for a family structure that is going to come to pass inevitably. See, so let me put this into context. So last year, my wife and I, we felt that we need to start fostering so we get two girls into our home. And before that, people have got questions and they're good questions to ask, okay? Um, Not saying that they're not. What about your own kids? What's going to happen with them, okay? What about your family? And I'm asking these same questions, like shucks, you know. What about my free time? What about my money? You know, I've got a lot of Lego sets that I'm saving up for <laughs> jokes for my kids. Um. <laughs> you know what? What about my stuff? What about my free space? You know, what about my house? Now my house is getting small, and and so I'm thinking about my kids and the fact that we got this special thing coming on, and all four of us fit very nicely into a five-seater car, and now we're going to be six. I need to get a new car. It's like it's it's admin. Right? It is admin. But the, the thing that I felt the Holy Spirit convict me on is, is how can I sacrifice the eternal well being of these two girls for the sake of a family structure that will inevitably come to an end? Do you understand what I'm saying? These girls, they will live forever. And I have an opportunity to to influence where they will live forever. My family structure will come to an end. How can I pass up the opportunity to bring these two girls into heaven with me for a family structure that will come to an end? One day when my son leaves eventually. One day when my marriage ends when we die. Do you, you get what I'm saying? There's this eternity focus, but you see, we, we're so focused on our family, you know, COVID came and there's chaos around us and there's people that don't have food, there's people that are losing jobs, but but we're my family, it's my family. You know, it's us against the world. But as much as you try and hang on to it, it's, even if you do things well, it's going to come to an end. But there are people in our communities that don't have food to eat. There are people that need your ministry and your kids are not something that needs to be protected. Your kids are the very answer to those problems, I believe. Psalm 127 that I just read. Your kids are the arrows in your quiver by which you will go to the enemy, up against your enemy at the gates. Isn't that isn't that beautiful? Right? I don't I don't think of my son as somebody that I need a shield from the world. I'm scared for the world when my son gets there, because he's gonna conquer right? I'm scared of my own stuff in my house, and uh, never mind the world. <laughs> I, I don't I don't fear what social media is going to do to my kids. I know God, right? So I'm going to quickly end off because we're running out of time. Let's quickly go to Matthew 27, Ach, Matthew 25, sorry. I'm going to paraphrase through a, a quick parable just for the sake of time. Um, This parable is a parable of tenants. We know this one well. This is the one where the master goes away. He's got three servants. He gives the one servant five talents, one, two talents, one one talent. And uh, one talent is the equivalent of about one year's worth of wages. So it's kind of like your boss gives you five years' worth of wages, salary. And he goes away and he says, hey, when I come back, you need to grow my company, okay? And um, the story goes that he comes back... um, Giving each person according to his ability, he comes back to give account. Okay, and this this can kind of be some. Some of us are born in good families. Some of us are born in in bad families. Some of us are born on this side of the road. Some of us are born on that side of the road. Some of us are born in Santon. Some of us are born in in uh, Brakpan. Okay, <laughs> lol. Uh, I was born in Germiston, so you see, I can't complain. <laughs> But, so some of, you'll agree with me that, that depending on who I'm talking into the room, you might have, you might have a little bit more than others, or you might have less, you might have been through difficulties that other people haven't experienced, but according to this parable, um, everybody will have to give an account, whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, okay? And victimhood will not be an excuse for not giving an account, okay? So, Story goes that gives five talents. The one guy comes back. Guy says, "Hey, master, uh, you gave me five. Here's another five. He says, "Shop, well done. You did well. You know, you've been faithful over a little, faithful over much." Um, guy with two talents says, "Hey, master, you gave me two. I made two more." And it's the same response. Okay, it's the same response. I don't, and and that's that should be really good news for us because sometimes we judge ourselves against people that do a heck of a lot, right? And 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 the parables is like, just whatever you got, just manage that. It's fine. It's not only it's fine, but it's good, right? But the guy with one, let's read from verse twenty-four. Let's read this. He also, he also who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, gathered where I scattered no seed. Okay, This, this sounds a little bit harsh, um, especially when you read it in light of the prodigal son, another famous parable, right? And this guy, he he gets given an inheritance, goes out, Wastes all drug, sex, rock and roll. We know that story. Uh, ends up in a ditch. Comes back to his father. His father's like, hey, good to see you. Let's all the feast, you know. And then this guy, he's given one talent. He doesn't waste it. He gives back one talent and then he's called wicked and slothful. Okay? And this makes sense only in the context where we understand that the master believes in his potential to produce right? So now, I just read in Psalm 127 that children are an inheritance, and they're a good thing, right? And, and in a sense, you can also think of them as a talent. They're an arrow. They're a resource to conquer, okay? And your job as a parent, my job as a parent, is not to give God back this one arrow in the same condition, My job is to take this arrow and to conquer. Do you understand that? My son is not a glass ball. He's an arrow designed to conquer. Is that understood? And so, you know, this this is kind of the equivalent. Sometimes I, I remember first reading this thinking, it's like asking somebody to take care of my house. And then I come back from the holiday and they haven't built a flat. I'm upset with them because they haven't built a flat in my backyard, you know. But no you see the, the the problem is that if I'm not a victim and I understand that I do have the ability to conquer then the question is why am I not doing that if my if I but remember what determines their action what ultimately determines their action is what they know about God see what he says he says i knew you to be therefore i acted what if i believed that God was a giver of good gifts What if I believe that my children are going to conquer the world? Just as, I mean, we all like to say those things about ourselves, eh? I'm a son of God, right? I've been bought at a price. I'm not a slave to fear. But do we believe those things about our children? Do you believe that your children are conquerors? And what you know about God is going to determine your actions. Okay. If you want to know what you believe about your children, ask yourself how do you treat them? Because what you know about God ultimately determines your actions. Let's all stand together. So I'm not I'm not maybe what I'm saying is a little is a little bit difficult because children it gets a little bit personal when we talk about kids. Right? But the only thing that I'm asking you is not what does Luke say, or what does another person say, or what does my culture say? i just saying, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about your children and the identity of your children? All the identity of your, your spouse and your wife? I didn't even get into that. The way that you treat your wife is indicative about what you know about God. And all I'm saying is, what you know about God should be informed by Scripture. Not by culture. Not by person. Okay? Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for my kids, all four of them. And thank you that you've called them to conquer. Thank you that my, my kids won't learn to swim, they'll learn to walk on water. That they'll go forth into the world and not be conformed to the world but that my, my children will influence the world for Jesus. They will conquer for Jesus. Thank you that the best thing for my kids is, is not a protective father, but a father that follows Jesus. Because, Lord, unless you watch over my children, unless you guard over my children, I guard in vain. And unless you build up my children, I build in vain. Thank you, Jesus, for, for my wife. Thank you that that you've given her the calling to follow Jesus. And thank you for the, the wives in this building that you've given them the calling to follow Jesus. Father, I pray for the courage to steward our wives well.